Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 27, and we want to finish off uh, those verses there, uh, beginning at verse 41. And then, Lord willing, we'll get into uh, Genesis 28 and finish that up. So, uh, once again, we're going to cover Genesis chapter 27, uh, verse 41, all the way through Genesis 28, verse 22. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would instruct us. um, Lord, convict us if necessary, but help us to be more like Jesus. And so I pray that when we leave this place, we'll leave this place different. Not the way, not the same way we came in, but stronger, uh, spiritually more healthier or healthy. And we also pray, Lord, that that you would just uh, just give us more direction um, and sensitivity to your Holy Spirit during this time. So, Father God, I do pray for the gift of teaching. I pray that I would decrease and you increase at this time. And I just thank you for this opportunity to you be the glory, the honor the praise, and I acknowledge, Father, that the majesty belongs to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So once again, Genesis 27, verse 41, through chapter 28, verse 22. And the title of the study is Heaven, Earth, and the Ladder. Heaven, Earth, and the Ladder. L-A-D-D-E-R. So this book of Genesis, and I mentioned this before, but I haven't said it in a while, Uh, But the book of Genesis is divided into two main sections. And so the first section covers the four major events. And you find that in chapters 1 through 11. And then the second uh, section of Genesis covers four major people. And you find that in chapters 12 through 50. And so let's start once again or review the four major events in chapters 1 through 11. And so those four major events are, uh, number one, the creation, number two, the fall, number three, the flood, and number four, the dispersion. So that's the dispersion of the people at the Tower of Babel. And then the second section of Genesis through chapters 12 uh, through 50, um, they cover once again the four major people. And the four major people are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so at this point in Genesis, we are on the third major person in the second major section of Genesis. And so now we're going to begin to focus more on Jacob. And so let's start um, our study at uh, uh, chapter 27, verse 41. It says, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so we know from our studies, for example, in Genesis chapter four, that the first murder and and really the first murder of a relative uh, took place there in, in chapter four, verses two through eight. And this, of course, is referring to Cain murdering his brother Abel. And he murdered his brother out of anger. 
And I mentioned um, Cain. I went all the way back to Genesis 4 as an example because Esau, Jacob's twin brother, he has this same type of anger in his heart. You see his anger and his hatred for his twin brother, Jacob. It led him to plotting to to kill Jacob, his own brother. Uh, But he wanted to wait until his father died. He also wanted to wait until the time of mourning for his father were over. And so these days of mourning, it actually refers to a time period of formal mourning for the dead, which usually would last seven days. And so he thought the death of his father was near and he wanted to wait till everything was over before he would uh, get revenge on Jacob. You see, at this point, it's believed by many Bible scholars and teachers that Isaac is 137 years old. And you're going to find different ages depending on um, who you listen to or read. But I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, people have that in common thinking that he was about 137 years old. Speaking of Isaac, Esau's father. Uh, but also remember that Isaac would go on to live to 180 years old and then die. And that's according to Genesis 35 verses 27 through 29. And so really his death was not as near as Esau thought. His death was not as near as Esau thought. But one thing I want to do is, is go to the New Testament. I want to look at First uh, John chapter 3. And then read um, verses 10 through 15. So first John chapter three, verses 10 through 15. It says in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or revealed. Whoever uh, does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, for the believer, that would refer to our brother and sister in Christ. So not just our physical um, sibling or just blood related by physical blood. But but speaking of um, those who are related to us through the blood of Christ, through faith in Christ. And so it's talking about practicing righteousness here. This is your pattern of life. It doesn't mean that um, you don't have that moments of sin. You want to avoid those. Uh, but. Uh, generally speaking, uh, the rule of a true believer's life will be uh, practicing righteousness. And so whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Uh, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Um, So don't be baffled that the world hates you. In other words, so so we would or we know in verse 14 that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Uh, So you so for some of you who want to know a sign of whether or not you truly been born again, you need to really evaluate your life and really ask yourself, do you love the people of God? Do you love the children of God? And these are those who've repented and placed their trust in Jesus for salvation. Do you love the brother and sister in Christ? That's an that's a, a, a little clue that you have passed from death to life. And then it says, he who does not love his brother abides in death. 
Now, here you go in verse 15, and this um, sort of, uh, this reminds us of not only Cain, but also of what we're about to see here with Esau. It says in verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So we see this hate here coming from Esau. He didn't even carry out the act, but the fact that he has the attitude of murder in his heart. And so now you're looking at the issues of the heart. You're looking at sins of the heart, not just the physical act of murdering here. And it says just hating your brother. That, that's you're seen as a murderer. In Ecclesiastes 7 and 9. The Bible says, do not hasten, do not be quick in your spirit to be angry for anger rests in the bosom or the heart of fools. So you don't want to be a fool. Don't be quick to be angry like Esau in his example here. You see, believer, we need to guard our hearts against anger and against hatred. Why? Because it could lead to evil thoughts, evil plotting against somebody, revenge. It could lead to evil actions. And so we want to guard our hearts. In verses 42 through 45, back in Genesis 27, it says, And uh, the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and she said to him, surely your brother Esau, he comforts or consoles himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereave also of you both in one day so once again mom steps in at this time she steps in to protect jacob from esau Uh, the first time she stepped in to uh, make sure that jacob got the blessing from isaac but this time after that has taken place and and so you would need to um, read the verses prior to that if you want to catch up Um, you can go online and catch up with that but this time she wants to protect jacob from his older twin brother esau and and so she intends to send him to her brother laban in haran and then her plan is to go and send for him so he can come back at a later time after a few days And now speaking of Haran, Haran is the city to which Abraham migrated when he left Ur of the Chaldees, if you recall. And it's also where um, Abraham stayed until his father died before leaving for the promised land, Canaan. And so there's some history here in Haran. But here's the thing with this situation that she would go on to send Jacob off to Haran to her brother. You see, Rebecca, mom, would never see Jacob again, at least on this side of eternity. You see, Jacob would actually be gone for at least 10 years. And by the time he returned, mom, Rebecca, would be dead. Tragic. You see, she didn't think about the consequences of creating this deceitful plan to to make sure that Jacob would get the blessings that Isaac wanted to give to Esau. A plan, by the way, based on the last study, based on what we read, a plan that was 
unnecessary because the blessings, the birthright already belong to Jacob based on the plan, based on the will, the word of God. So it was unnecessary. But but she didn't think of the consequences of her stepping in to, to help Jacob enact this uh, deceitful plan to deceive Isaac, who was old and he couldn't see well, and to blessing him instead. But of course, like I said, it, the blessings were really his anyway. But but I wonder something tonight. I wonder how many of us would make better decisions if we were to think about the potential consequences on top of the word of God. You see, that gets many of us in hot water today because we don't think about the word of God. We, we don't we don't love the word of God as we should. We don't obey the word of God, revere the word of God the Bible as we should. And then on top of that, we don't think about the consequences of going the opposite way of the word of God. And so we end up in hot water. We make a bad situation even worse. In verse 46, it says, and Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary. I'm sick of my life because of the daughters of Heth. And Heth was, by the way, a son of Canaan and Um, the forefather of the Hittites. And so Esau married some Hittite women, just as a heads up. She says, if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good would my life be to me? And so she was going to use this wife situation as a cover-up. And by the way, it was a realistic cover-up. Because she really didn't like the Hittite daughter-in-laws that she had. Because again, uh, uh, Esau married two Hittite women. And they were a grief of mine to not only her, but also to Isaac, the Bible tells us in Genesis 26. And so it was a realistic cover-up um, that Rebecca could use to send Jacob away. And so the main reason was to make sure he was safe from his brother Esau, but then this was the cover up. And of course, Isaac would go on to agree with her as we look at the next chapter in uh, Genesis 28. It says, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and he charged or commanded him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, which is uh, northwestern um, Mesopotamia. So it's located there. Uh, go to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. See, Isaac now was fully on board with Rebekah, at least in sending Jacob off uh, to Padan Aram or to Haran in order to get a wife. And it doesn't really seem like he's aware that Esau's planning to kill Jacob at this time. So it doesn't seem like he's aware of that. But he at least agrees with the fact of, okay, we don't want him to get a wife from here. We've been there, done that with Esau and his two Hittite wives. You see, he commands Jacob to go to Padan Aram. And once again, northwestern Mesopotamia. So the region around the town of Haran was called Padan Aram. And it probably meant the field of Aram and Aram having come essentially to mean the land of Syria, as one Bible scholar explains. And so therefore, Jacob would be in Syria 
And you can read Hosea 12, 12 as a reference. And so in verses three through five in Genesis 28, it says, and this is Isaac speaking to Jacob. May God almighty or El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be a assembly or multitude of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac, he sent Jacob away in verse five, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian. And some uh, Bible versions may say Aramean. And, and that's because in later centuries, the, the region of Padan Aram would be called Syria. And so um, he's the brother of Rebecca, you know, speaking of Laban, um, the mother, speaking of Rebecca, of Jacob and Esau. And so here now, Isaac um, had not been, quote unquote, tricked into blessing um, Jacob as he was earlier. Uh, but now he intentionally pronouncing a, pronounces a general blessing upon him in verse three in Genesis 28. And then in Genesis 28, four, he intentionally uh, pronounces a blessing of the blessing of Abraham. Upon his son, Jacob. So now what you see here with Isaac is that he is now fully on board with God's plan for Jacob. Isaac is fully on board with this now, whereas before he was trying to do things a different way and bless Esau. And so I really like that, how he's now switched from trying to go uh, a separate way from what God's plan and his will was to now being fully on board with it as he intentionally blesses him with this blessing of Abraham. And how many of us can sense how much better it is to go with God's flow instead of going against it? How many of us have been in that place where we used to go against the flow of God, go against his plan and his perfect will for our lives? We used to go against the word of God. We used to go against the convictions of the Holy Spirit. We read the Bible maybe from week to week. We may go to church and we hear the pastor, the teacher sharing the word of God and get convicted. But yet and still we go a separate way from his perfect will from our lives. We've been in that place before, but how much better as believers we have found it to be when we have found ourselves in the flow of God's will, in the flow of God's word for our lives. You see, I've been in that place of going against God's plan and his will for my life. You know, I mentioned uh, more than once um, just in sharing the word of God, just teaching that that I got saved in 1997 at the age of uh, of 18. And so 18 years old, about, you know, 97, I was a year out of college, just completed my first year of college. And, and the Lord and, and I was you may not believe this. Some of you probably can believe this. But but, you know, I was a you know track athlete. But also on the side, um, I had a rap group. So so the. You didn't have to laugh. But anyway, I was in a rap group from the mean street. No, I was from the mean streets of L.A., but not mean. But but anyway, so we were in a rap group. And I remember, you know, I really I didn't really care about the fame per se. I, I, I was more just, you know, just grew up not with a lot of 
money or whatever. So I was more focused on that. So I didn't really care because I used to think, man, what if, what if we do get famous with it? I can't go to the mall. Like I wouldn't be able to do. So I didn't really care about that. I just wanted some financial freedom. And so we, we were in, we were in this, this rap group and uh, rapping and, and all these things. And, and you know what they talk about. So I don't have to explain it. Um, and, and I remember, um, you know, Lord really convicted me about my language. And so out of all the sins that I've committed or even the sins of omission in my life throughout those years, the age of 18, he's good. He, he's um, convicted me more and more about my language in these songs. And so I remember going back and forth with the Lord. Well, well, I, I'm not going to say, and this is me talking to the Lord. Okay, I won't say this and that. I'll, I'll just only use these words. So I'm going back and forth with them. And this lasted for months. And I don't know. Thank God for his mercy and his grace for putting up with me all that time. But because this was probably early on in the year of 1997, I'm just going back and forth with him. Uh, but but it was that language that 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 really got me. And so uh, finally I, I, and I got to the point was like, Lord, OK, I'll tell you what, I, I'm a, you know, just sign this record deal because we're, we're kind of close. And I said, I'm just going to sign this deal. I'm going I'm to, you know, do this record with them in this group and then after that i'm a um become solo and then make clean rap and then clearly the lord spoke to my heart and was like tomorrow's not promise and 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 that just hit me like a ton of bricks so i was like okay i I can't do anything about that because it was true and it was probably um august of that year it was august of that year of 97 so it went on for months and then I was at, it might sound cliche, it's not, this is the truth. I was at a revival, and I cannot even tell you what the message was about. I know it was about Jesus, but at that point, I was just ready to just surrender. So I don't care who would have been preaching that night, I was just ready. I don't care who it was, who would have prayed with me to receive, I, I was just ready. Because I remember just after uh, the, the preacher uh, finished, you know, I just remember telling the Lord, I was like, uh, I give up. Like, in other words, I was saying, I'm tired of fighting against you. And guess what? When, when I said that, when I fully surrendered my life to him in August of 1997, at the age of 18, by the way, my wife was pregnant at that time. When I felt that, I felt a, a burden, literally burden just lifted. And I have never felt more free and I've never been the same but I, but I wonder how many of you have been in that place where you just felt this heavy weight and burden upon you in a spiritual way, maybe even mentally or emotionally, because you were going against the will and the flow of God's plan for you. But then when you got in this flow, all oh, that burden just lifted and you just feel so free. And that's because there is freedom in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Verses six through nine, Genesis 28, it says Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and he sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge or a prohibition saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau is hearing and seeing all of this. In verse 9, also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So he saw, man, they don't like my wives, my Hittite wives. And so Esau went to Ishmael or the family of Ishmael, his uncle, and he took Mahalath, uh, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, uh, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife, 
in addition to the wives he had. You see, Esau took note of what his father uh, said to and also what his father did for Jacob before sending him off to Padan Aram. He, he took note. And therefore, he tried to implement what he heard, what he learned in order to perhaps please his father and maybe to get just a little bit of the blessing. You see, he went to the home of his uncle um, Ishmael, who was already dead at the time, by the way, got him a wife. But guess what? That still wasn't going to change the fact that God's plan was for Jacob to get the birthright and the blessing. It wouldn't change the fact that it was God's plan for the Abrahamic blessing to pass from Abraham and the flow through Isaac and to Jacob. It wasn't going to change anything no matter what Esau had done to try to fix the situation. You see, for us, uh, we shouldn't do things in order to just try to earn something from God, our Heavenly Father. In fact, we should do the right thing because we love the Lord and because simply it is right. In verses 10 through 12, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went toward Haran. And so he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place. He put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder, which could also be uh, translated a stairway or a flight of steps. Uh, some would say a ramp was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And so Jacob, he would leave Beersheba. We see here from these verses, which was in the south. Um, in the Negev, and he headed northeast to Haran. And this was about, um, and it was about a 500 mile journey from Beersheba in the south to Haran. So a long journey. And so on his way to Haran, in order to escape from his brother Esau, the Bible tells us that he found this place to camp out and go to sleep. And we would see here in the text that he would begin to have an interesting dream. And so in verse 13, it says, and behold, the Lord stood above it. He stood above the ladder or stairway. um, And he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. So they'll be you'll be blessed with a nation and you shall uh, spread abroad to the west and east to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed or uh, be a blessing. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, to Canaan, the promised land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So Jacob now heard directly from God. He didn't just hear about God. He heard directly from God. And God confirms here that that the Abrahamic covenant is going to flow through Jacob and so this promise of a land, which is Canaan, this promise of a nation, you know, these are those many descendants and the families of all the earth 
will be blessed through his seed, ultimately through the Messiah. So now it's promised to him in that Abrahamic covenant that the Messiah is going to come through his line. And that's how the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so the Lord also promises to be with him, protect him, bring him back to the land of promise and fulfill his promise to Jacob. See these words after hearing these words, it really should have brought Jacob great relief. This man is on a run. He's running for his life. He's going to some place he has not been. So you can imagine his emotions. You can imagine his thoughts. And you also have to remember that he was a man who was used to being in the tent. He wasn't an outdoors man like Esau. And so these words from the Lord in this dream really should have brought him great relief, great assurance or confidence. In the same way, the word of God should bring us great assurance or confidence. The word of God should also bring us um, this great freedom from doubt. And the last statement in particular really um, stood out to me in this study, because in that last statement there in verse 15, God says to Jacob, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And that stood out to me in my time of of prayer and, and reading and preparation And that's because it reminds me of one of my favorite verses in the Bible that really helped uh, free me up uh, spiritually speaking and mentally. In Philippians 1, 6, for example, it says uh, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. You see, that brings me comfort personally and assurance. It it brings me uh, confidence because. Um, that, that means that our God is a finisher. Our God will not leave us in the middle of the salvation process just because as a true believer, you made a mistake. Just because you may have sinned. Yes, you should confess and repent, get back in fellowship with him. But, but our God is a finisher. And so I am confident of this very thing that that the same God of the Bible, the same God of the Apostle Paul, whom God used to write this verse in Philippians 1, 6, that same God who has begun the work of salvation in me and also in you as a believer, he is going to complete that work of salvation until the day of Christ. He's going to carry you through until you get that uh, resurrected or that glorified body, which is the final stage of salvation called glorification and so this brings me great comfort just seeing what the word of God says in verse 16 it says then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he says surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it I wasn't even aware of it in other words you see first of all God is omnipresent he's everywhere at the same time So after this dream, you know, Jacob became aware that God is or was indeed present, that he was there. You see, he had a personal experience with God in that place uh, where, where he fell asleep while on the run from his brother. This omnipresent God now made himself known in a special way to Jacob via this dream. And what I'm about to put up there on the screen is is a reference. And it's a reference in Psalm 139, verse 7, 
written by the king, um, written by King David. It says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Why? Why does he ask that? He, he knows that God is omnipresent. And so, you know, when I pray um, before a service, sometimes, you know, you won't hear me say, oh, God, come in here. That's because he's already here. But what I do pray is that the Lord will help us to be sensitive to his presence because he's here. But we're not always sensitive to the fact that he is here. And so, Lord, we, we just pray that you would. And, and there's something also called manifest presence. And so he's omnipresence present. But then there's there's times where he just shows up or really makes himself known that that I'm working, I'm here. And he does that in a special way. And we call that this manifest presence. He's working in a special way. And so here in this dream, Jacob encounters God in a special way. You see, there are times for us when we don't realize that God was present or working until after the situation or after the fact. You see, in those fearful moments, it doesn't feel like God is present. But as we go on in our Christian walk, we can look back and say, surely the Lord was in that situation in which I was fearful. You know, in that place where we felt lonely At the time, it didn't feel like God was there. But as we go on and we really look back, we can see that, Lord God, I felt lonely in that moment. But really, if I really think about it, Lord, you were truly present. Surely the Lord was in that place, was in my lonely moments. Or maybe there was a time in which you had maybe the toughest challenge in your life with your family or maybe at your place of employment. And it just didn't seem like God was working, like God was there. But you come to realize that things didn't get as bad as you thought they would. You come to realize that even in that toughest situation, all of a sudden you just had this burst of this superhuman faith. All of a sudden that things were going to work out. And so when you think back to that toughest moment in your life at that place of employment or maybe that tragedy in your family, you can think back. You're like, you know what? It didn't seem like the Lord was present. But when I think back to that extra human faith that I seem to have, this superhuman faith when i when it, when it, when i think about that extra comfort that i experienced even though that situation was tough i realized that surely the lord was in that place or there's maybe somebody who's received an unfavorable diagnosis and as you're talking to that doctor that medical staff at the moment it doesn't seem like god is there it doesn't seem like god was answering your prayer but as you begin to go on with your life you you begin to remember the fact that as the doctor shared that with you you weren't shaken you weren't all that fearful as you thought you would be and that's because you now realize that surely lord you were in that place you were at that moment even when they shared that unfavorable diagnosis with me and so maybe you are in that place that jacob finds himself in at this moment in our study you didn't realize it at first but now you see lord yes You were there and I and I praise you. See, in verse 17, it says, and he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate or the gateway of heaven. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put at his head. He set it up as a pillar or a marker. He poured oil on it. This would be olive oil, most likely on top of it. 
uh, and that's to dedicate it um, or declare something uh, sacred for God's purpose. That, so that's why that was done. And in verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. Uh, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. And Luz uh, means almond tree. And so he changed the name of that place from Luz almond tree to Bethel, which means the house of God. So Jacob is the person who gave Bethel that name. He gave it that name of that place, Bethel. And so he set up this stone there. And so Bethel, the name and this stone he set up as a pillar was serve as a reminder of Jacob's encounter with God in this dream. So there are times I would encourage you to think about where you were at the moment in time when you had your encounter or your encounters with God. Just you know, remember those pillars in your life, especially when those times of um, fear or those moments or of doubt tries to creep up. Those tough moments may may arise in your life. So think back to those moments where you had those encounters with God. Remember those pillars, so to speak. Remember. Verses 20 through 22. Genesis 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. So that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, a monument, memorial or marker, this shall be God's house or a place for worshiping God. And of all that you, Lord, give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So so he he promises to give God a a tithe, in other words. And so here uh, Jacob appears to be saying that if God keeps his word to him. So it sounds conditional. The Lord will be his and um, and he'll even give a tithe of what he has. And so some um, lean towards um, the interpretation that he's making a bargain with God. And then you have some other Bible scholars uh, split with that um, because there's another uh, legitimate way uh, to see this. So some would replace the word if in verse 20 with the word since. So it would read since God will be with me and so forth. And so um, you, you have those two different thoughts there just to throw that out at you. Uh, but I'll say this in many of the English versions I've read, um, the word if is there. And so I do want to share that with you. But you could do your own studies on on that if you're really interested uh, on the uh, correct interpretation of that, which would. We should all be. But, yeah, do your um, own studies on that. But one thing we need to address is that dream, the dream that Jacob had about a ladder, which could also be translated as a stairway. You see, the stairway, this ladder was uh, was set up on the earth, if we recall, and reached towards heaven. And this ladder or stairway you saw had angels going up and down on it. You see, Jesus explains what this is or who this is. In fact, you see, in John chapter 1, um, there was this guy named Philip who was this new follower of Jesus. And he found uh, another man named Nathaniel, and he let Nathaniel know that I know we know who the Messiah is. This Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. And so Philip would proceed to bring Nathaniel to Jesus. And so I do want to pick up at John 1 verse 47. B 
because it says that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Uh, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Oh, you will see greater things than these. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. I took off my English teacher hat when I said that. You ain't seen nothing yet. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. The son of man being a messianic title, which you can see in Daniel chapter seven. You see here, Jesus himself is claiming to be the latter. He's claiming to be that stairway that Jacob saw in his dream. So Jesus says, I'm the stairway. I'm the one who is the link or the connector to earth and heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who fills in the gap between earth and heaven. You see, Jesus being the stairway or the link between heaven and earth is revealed to us in the scriptures in in different ways. You know, the Bible speaks of Jesus, for example, as the mediator, as shared in First Timothy uh, chapter two, verse five. This is one way we see this picture of him being the link, being the stairway between earth and heaven, because First Timothy two, five says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man with the capital M, Christ Jesus. You see, by the way, for those of you who see that, you may think that Jesus is only a man. But I just want to share with you that he is fully God or truly God and he's truly man. Therefore, he is qualified to be the mediator, the go between between God, the father and humans. And what is a mediator? A mediator is one who intervenes between two either in order to make or restore peace and friendship or to form a compact or for ratifying a covenant. And so Jesus is the go-between between God the Father and man. He's the go-between between heaven and earth. He is the stairway. He is the link or ladder, whichever you prefer. And so Jesus represents man to God, and he also represents God to man. And so, therefore, it is through Jesus that we have peace with God the Father. And see, it's because our sins, our sins, our iniquities have separated us from God. But Jesus provides the link. See, Jesus shed his blood. He died in our place so that we will have the opportunity to be forgiven and be reconciled with God the Father. He is that link. He is that mediator between God the Father and between humans. But we also see um, how this idea of Jesus being the stairway revealed in the fact that Jesus also claims to be the way, the truth, and the life in John fourteen six. You see, Jesus is the way to have a relationship with the father. Again, you see him there connecting heaven and earth. 
connecting man with God the Father. He is the way, capital W. He is the way. There's no S there, by the way, not plural. He is the way to spend eternity with the Father. You see, there is a spiritual enemy. There's there's the devil and there's those fallen angels. There's demons on this earth and they want to complicate the way to heaven. They want to make it seem that there's multiple ways to get to heaven other than going through Jesus. Some people may go use experiences or feelings. They, they may hang out with somebody and they may say, but, but he or she is a good person. But they never really thought about the scripture where Jesus says there's no one good. There's only one good and that's God. And so there's no one inherently good. Do we do good things? Yes, but there's no one inherently good except for God. That's a part of who he is. But but he or she is a good person, some would say, getting in their feelings. So so that could be a way for them to get to heaven. Oh, oh, or that that God, Allah, or or this God over here. Oh, it's just a different name for the God of the Bible. No, it's not, because when you look at their attributes, they're totally separate. They don't share the same attributes. In Islam, for example, they claim that Jesus really wasn't crucified. It just appeared that he really, really wasn't. So that's not the same God. But some would get in their feelings, but, but they're good people. That's great. They do good things, but niceness, doing good things won't get you into heaven. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Are you born again or, or, or some would use their intellect? How can everybody else be wrong? Well, we didn't say this. Jesus did. He is the way. The truth, the life, to spend eternity with the Father. And so that's another way we see that idea of the stairway being revealed to us in Scripture. Jesus being the way. Don't fall for the trick of the enemy who wants to complicate things. God made it simple. You see, another way we see the fact that Jesus is the link between heaven and earth, because we see that in Christ, for example, with him being the stairway, the link, we see the blessings of heaven come down to us. That is through Jesus, the stairway, the ladder. We also see Jesus being the link in that he brought us the words from heaven. That is from the father, because Jesus, remember, told us that he spoke whatever he heard the father say. You see, in John twelve fifty, he says, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the father told me, so I speak. How about John fifteen fifteen? He says, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. You see, Jesus is a stairway in that sense as well as that he brings us the words from heaven, from the father to us, reveals them to us. And then if you read the gospel, the gospel accounts, you can also see that Jesus uh, brought the workings of heaven, the workings of God uh, in, in the form of miracles. He brought them from heaven to earth. So he is truly that stairway. He is truly that link between heaven and earth. And and once again, we see it um, revealed in multiple ways as I share it with you. You see, God, once again, he made it simple with Jesus being the only access or our only connection to heaven slash God, the father. Now, I want to emphasize there are not multiple ways. That would be a slap in Jesus's face. And I will tell you this as believers, as the worship team 
uh, takes the stage, I, w- I would encourage you as believers to, to not be ashamed to believe and let people know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Don't be ashamed to believe and let people know that Jesus is, yes, the ladder, the link, the, the, the stairway between heaven and earth. There's nothing to be ashamed of because Jesus is the only one who was qualified to be the link between heaven and earth. Because he is God and he's also perfect man. And therefore, he's able to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. There is nothing to be ashamed of in believing that and saying that and repeating what the word of God says. You see, he loved us enough to take the penalty that we deserve. We deserve death, but he stepped in our place and he took the wrath of the father upon himself. So why would we be ashamed to believe and let people know that, yes, Jesus is the latter. He is the only link between heaven and earth. If you want to be saved, you must go through Jesus. There is nothing to be ashamed of. You see, that blood that he shared is that he shed is precious blood. That this is the blood of the eternal God who, who took upon himself a human body just so he can die in our place so that we wouldn't have to. So if anybody goes to hell, it's because they choose to. They reject the only cure. They reject, in other words, the stairway, the ladder, Jesus Christ. Nothing to be ashamed of to say that he is the way because he gave it all in order for us to have great gain. See, Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich spiritually. What is there to be ashamed of to acknowledge and teach and preach that, yes, Jesus is the only way to heaven? The stairway, the ladder. So, yes, we should be thanking God the Father for giving us access through Jesus to him, to heaven, to all the manifold blessings that are available. We should thank God that we have access as well to eternal life. There's nothing to be ashamed of to say that Jesus is the only way, the stairway that connects heaven and earth. Amen. If you're able to stand, let's stand. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins and You did that because you so love the world. And we pray that we would grow in appreciation of that if we're saved already. Continue to grow. We pray for those who are not saved that you would draw them to Jesus. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Bless our week. Use us this week according to your will. Through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.